you're tuned to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcasted live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator. And he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for almost 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, folks, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You know, today is September 11th, 2021. And, of course, it's been 20 years now since the terrorist attacks that claimed the lives of 2,977 people. That fateful Tuesday morning, the world watched in disbelief as four hijacked airplanes crashed into the World Trade Center towers a field in Pennsylvania, and at the Pentagon. The days that followed were spent glued to news coverage of the rescue, the recovery activities, listening to the agonizing stories of those who were searching for missed loved ones, cheering the efforts of thousands of heroes that emerged, and some of the horrific images that we saw. The tragedies that unfolded that that morning have really impacted generations. You know, I know I remember... And I'm sure you do too. It's kind of one of those days we remember exactly where we are and what was going on uh, when when all this happened. And I'm honored to have two guests joining us this morning to talk about their own personal connection and experiences on September 11th, 2001. Our first guest is a co-worker and a friend of mine. Peter Sagansky is a financial advisor at Brogan Financial. Uh, He's been with us for over eight years. And prior to moving to Knoxville, Pete worked for Deutsche Asset Management on Wall Street in New York City. And he commuted daily from his home in New Jersey to Manhattan. And he was working in his office in lower Manhattan on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Good morning, Peter. Welcome to More Living. It's great to have you with us. Uh, good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Pete, as I mentioned, in 2001, you were working in, Man- in Lower Manhattan. What was your job, and where were you in relation to the World Trade Center Twin Towers? Yeah, well, I was working for Deutsche Bank at the time, and I was a senior trader on their equity trading desk. Um, our building was located at 130 Liberty Street. Uh, the building was attached to the South uh, World Trade Center South Tower by a uh, covered enclosed walking bridge, but we were a- immediately adjacent to the South Tower. Oh, wow. So what, what did you, re- re- I mean, I'm sure, and we'll get into kind of what happened when the first tower hit, or the first plane hit, but what was it like that morning? I mean, do you remember much about the, you know, leading up to that? I mean, it was a beautiful day in New York. What do you remember about the morning uh, going in that day? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was it was really just a typical day for me. I left my house in Chatham, New Jersey, uh, probably around 4.30 as I normally would. I drove to Jersey City. 
I would usually work out, and then I would take the PATH train, uh, which is a train that provided service from New Jersey into lower Manhattan, goes under the, uh, under the uh, Hudson River there. Um, I took that to the South Tower. Um, the, the stop is right in, directly underneath the South Tower. I, would, I walked out of the building, uh, went across to, our da- you know, to uh, where our building was located directly across the street, probably got to my desk around 7.30, which is what I would normally do on a normal day. So it really was a very typical day for me so far. 7.30, Pete, I don't see you in our office at 7.30 in the morning. A <laughs> little bit of a different lifestyle. I know, I'm just kidding around. <laughs> you were getting up at 4.30, though, holy cow. Just to, uh, Well, and of course, you're, you're so religious about working out in the morning. I know you've done that for a long, long time. But so the so then the first where were you when the first plane hit the North Tower? What was what was the atmosphere like in the office? And like, I know it took a while for people to realize really what was going on until the second plane hit. So can you just kind of walk us through what was going on in your office and how were people reacting? Or was it kind of like, oh, what in the world's going on? Yeah, it was it was a very confusing time. Uh, I remember I was sitting at my desk. My my office uh, windows overlooked, uh, you know, so I was on a trading floor, but the windows overlooked, you know, the Hudson River. And, um, you know, I was sitting there doing what I normally do, which is getting research from the street in the morning, collecting research before the market's open, getting ready to, you know, with getting my trades in order. Um, and I heard a, what I thought was thunder, to be honest with you, um, and I looked out over the just beautiful sky, uh, you know, out over the river, and I just thought to myself, that's very strange that I'm hearing thunder. Um, shortly after that, our security team came on the uh, loudspeaker and basically told us that they felt that there was a either a small explosion um, either in the building adjacent to us, and they didn't specify the World Trade Center, or down in the street, to just stay exactly where we were, that we were safer inside the building, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, for us, because we really didn't hear much of, a, of an impact or noise, uh, uh, that kind of made sense. So we kind of went about our business. Uh, ironically, I was on the phone um, taking research from uh, uh, one of, a business colleague of mine who worked at Cantor Fitzgerald, who was not in the office that day, he and his wife were traveling, and was he was calling me from the San Francisco office. Um, I had just hung up the phone with him, uh, and, I, of course, we have CNBC and different news stations on our, on our trading desks, and I could see the second plane hitting the, the South Tower before – sorry <laughs> – before I actually felt the impact. Um, and, you know, once that plane hit the side of the building, uh, hit the South Tower, it was, you know, crystal clear what was going on. Um, people began to panic at that point, and, you know, security came back on the line and said, listen, you guys need to just stay where you are. Uh, you're safer in the building, but myself and my team decided we were leaving. Um, so uh, we may start making our way down the staircase and um, out to the street. And, of course, when we got down to the street, it was, um, you know, the only way that I could explain what it looked like down there um, was a war zone. I mean, and it didn't look like it had just happened. Um, you know, there was just 
debris everywhere. The ash looked like it had been impregnated into the sidewalks. It, it looked like it had been there a very long time. Uh, how, you know, we kind of look. Sorry, go ahead. Well, Peter, how how um, how tall was the building that you worked in? Uh, our floors, we had 60, 60, 65 floors, I believe, in the Deutsch building. Um, I was on the 35th floor. Um, wow. You know, and as we were going down, as we were trying to exit the building, they were telling us to go back up to our floors. And I finally, we got off for a second at one floor and called the security department. They're like, go back to your floor, go back to your desk. And I said, you, you're aware that the windows are blown out on the north side of that floor. And they said, no, we're not. Just stay where you are. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to be listening to these people at this point. We're going to have to just make our own decision. And we decided to leave. Um, and go ahead. So then you were out on the street before the first tower came down? Yeah. we got When we got out to the street, I remember looking up at the tower and seeing that there was significant damage to the tower. You could see where the plane had impacted. Um, and my immediate thought was, you know, that's a lot of damage. It's going to be very difficult to repair. I don't know. You know, I saw the firemen and the first responders rushing into the buildings, um, you know, and I just thought that it was going to be a, you know, of course, uh, obviously concern for the people who were inside, but thinking that this was repairable and that there was no chance that those buildings would come down. Um, but in the same breath, I was thinking that I needed to get out of there before they shut down lower Manhattan. Okay, I tell you what, I want to then talk about kind of how the rest of the day unfolded, Pete. Uh, but we need to get to our first break. So when we come back, as we visit with Peter Sagansky, he's a coworker and a friend of mine at Brogan Financial, a financial advisor who was in Lower Manhattan uh, on that fateful day 20 years ago. We will talk about how the rest of that day unfolded. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and it's the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, and we are visiting with Pete Sagansky. Pete works in my office. He's a coworker and a friend. Uh, he's one of our financial advisors. He was in Lower Manhattan uh, working with Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Asset Management, on that fateful day. And we're talking about his experience. And, uh, Pete, we, I know it's not real easy to talk about that, so thank you so much for uh, coming on today. So you were out on the street um, and you mentioned it looked kind of like a war zone and that stuff had been there for a while, even though it had just happened. And then were, was it just like a, a, a mad dash to try to get out of there as quickly as you could before, as you said, shut, you know, worried that they would shut down Lower Manhattan? No, it, really, it really wasn't. I mean, there was a lot of people, you know, somebody like myself who would come out of an office building, um, you know, you hear all these stories of the heroic people that rushed in to help and, uh, at that point, when we had gotten down there, of course, the towers hadn't come down. So, you know, there were a lot of emergency first responders rushing in, and it looked like that they had had everything under control. Uh, there were a lot of people that were standing there just kind of looking and watching. Um, so there wasn't, 
I mean, people were very concerned about what had happened, obviously, but there wasn't really any concern of safety issues. So, you know, I was just thinking that I know how Manhattan works and that they would most likely shut down the, uh, the, the you know, any option for me to get out of the city. So I wanted to uh, start that process sooner rather than later. And actually, I think by 920, Port Authority had already closed all the bridges and tunnels leaving New York City, uh, so you couldn't come in or go out. Um, so I, I started thinking about getting away from there. Everybody else, you know, took their time because nobody was really felt that that was a, a safety issue. Um, and everybody just kind of started to make their way, you know, uh, towards their, their homes. Um, I commuted uptown to meet with a friend of mine. I had called him from the office as I was leaving. Uh, we were going to try to get out of town, to, out of the city together. Um, I met him up in Midtown. As I was taking the subway up um, from Wall Street, people, um, you know, there were all kinds of people getting on the, the subway with all kinds of crazy stories. Um, most of them, you know, were not reality. Um, but nonetheless, people were in a panic trying to get out of the city. Um, got up to Midtown, and uh, we saw on the, on the TV in his office that the Circle Line was running, uh, the, which is a tour boat uh, you know, operation in New York City, uh, that they were shuttling people back and forth. So we ran down to the West Side Highway and joined about three, 4,000 people that were waiting. to. They were literally on the West Side Highway waiting to get onto these boats. Uh, we were able to get the boats, get on one of the Circle Line boats that took us over to Jersey City. Uh, now, the first tower had come down while I was commuting, uh, while I was getting up to Midtown, while I was on the subway. Uh, and while we were in the middle of the Hudson River waiting to dock on the Jersey side, uh, the, south, the, the, the uh, North Tower uh, had come down. Uh, so we saw that from the Hudson River. Um, I made my way over to Jersey City. We walked for about an hour uh, to my vehicle, which was parked down by the Holland Tunnel, and we made it, made it home from there. So you could you see the? Are you saying that when you were on the Hudson, you could see the north? You saw the North Tower come down. We we couldn't see the tower itself because there was already so much smoke uh, from the South Tower that was still lingering. So all all we could see was that clearly something had happened. Um, and of course, no cell phones were working. Uh, the only phones that were working at that point were people that had New York uh, area code extensions on their phones so there were some people that could kind of tell what was going on and you know this was a boat that was meant to hold about uh, probably 1800 people at max and there was probably 4,000 people on this boat you know um, so it was kind of a hectic situation sitting in the middle of the East River of, of the Hudson River waiting for you know to, to dock because you know yeah. at that point we did feel at somewhat uh, you know, as a threat of danger. Um, yeah, there were not supposed that. to be any planes flying at that time, and the only thing that was flying up and down the river were F-16s, fortunately. But, yeah, we were able to see just a cloud of smoke. It wasn't uh, – we could not see the building itself. Wow. Um, so you had made the decision, Pete, to take your team out of the t out of your – uh, building, even though security was saying, hey, everybody just sit tight. But when you saw the second plane go in, y'all were like, no, we're, 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 our, my team's leaving. 
Um, what about the other people in your office that did stay? Were, th- were they able to get out okay for the most part? Yeah, for the for the most part, everybody got out okay. I mean, uh, fortunately, Deutsche Bank only had one um, fatality from nine directly from nine eleven, and that was somebody who was working in the World Trade Center for us. Uh, unfortunately, that's where we had our backup servers, and um, they were working in that area. So, so everyone else you, did make it out. Well, thank God for that. Um, I, I guess. It, it was common in your town for a lot of people committed it, or excuse me commuted into the city uh, from your town in New Jersey. So were there neighbors and friends that did not make it home that day? Yeah, there were um, you know from my hometown, which was Summit, New Jersey, uh, there were ten lives that were lost on 9/11 uh, Chatham, New Jersey, which was where I was living at the time. Um, we lost 13 residents. Um, one being uh, my neighbor who lived two houses down. Um, he worked for Cantor Fitzgerald as a, a, a bond trader. Uh, two young children had a newborn son that was born three days earlier. It was a very trying time for everyone. I can imagine. Um, Pete, one of the compelling things from that day was how people came together to support each one another. And really, even across the entire country, the amount of unity that, uh, that emerged in the midst of that unthinkable tragedy. There was a tremendous outpouring of support from first responders, from the community, from the entire country, and really from the world. From your perspective of having been there, you know, what do you see as, as how the world rallied and, the, and how the country unified and how we kind of rallied out of that? And what, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, Jim, it was it was really amazing to see. Um, you know, it showed what we're capable uh, as a as a country. Um, you know, the first responders, the crews, the companies, the equipment, everyone that came together to help, the people that came from out of state. Um, you know, everyone everyone wanted to help in any way that they could during that time. And you know, we watched that continue for years following the tragedy. I mean, you guys have seen it. You you'll see it. You would have seen it from down here, but being there you know that was on every news station just the work and the the amount of commitment from these people that came together it was just really truly amazing i mean um you know if 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 you look at our country today we could certainly use more of that today yeah you know we had such unity then coming out of that and we look at where we are today do you think that as a country we've you know kind of I don't want to say forgotten, but as a society, you know, we don't have that unity. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would agree with that. There's a long way to go. Um, you know, the most important lesson coming from that is, you know, people look at it, you never know what tomorrow brings, and you've got to make the most out of today. And, you know, you hear people say that all the time, but, you know, an event like that really brings that to fruition. Absolutely. Pete, in the aftermath of the terrorist attack, you know, the financial world had to get back to business and get up and running. And I know that was one of the resolves of us, of our spirit, of, of our country was we're going to get back. You know, we're going to get things back again in the financial world, even though it was attack on Wall Street. What was the disaster recovery like for your company and with, you, you know, getting back to work and getting things up and running? Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, it was a monumental task. 
um, you know, we had a disaster recovery in Parsippany, New Jersey. As I mentioned earlier, we had some servers or backup servers that were in the World Trade Center that were obviously destroyed. Um, it was, uh, you know, basically an abandoned office building in South Jersey uh, when we first got there. You know, I was part of the critical reconstruction team, so I was there almost immediately. Um, you know, basically we had to start from scratch. Our IT guys uh, worked on getting the technology and systems rebuilt. Well, you know, m me and my team focused on communications, rebuilding, you know, our connections and the trading functionality with the major firms that we traded with on Wall Street. Uh, but I will say what happened over the next few days, that building was an empty shell when, when, when I got there. And within two days, we had 18-wheelers uh, from Dell, you know, fully supplied computer, 18-wheelers uh, stocked with computers. We had uh, kitchen supply companies shipping in. All I mean, they had that whole building outfitted and running in a, in a very, very short period of time. Uh, it was really nothing short of a miracle. Um, you know, and the, our, our technology team, uh, they work day in and day out. Um, our, my team as well worked day in and day out, and we were ready when the New York Stock Exchange reopened for trading on September the 17th. That's amazing. Pete, when did you, at what point did you get back down to the World Trade Center site? Uh, it's funny, not funny, but I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. Um, I never went back. I went down there one time uh, with as part of a recovery team uh, where we sent up um, two people in to get some critical information from the, our building. Uh, of course, it was toxic air at the time, and you know you had a, they were wearing uh, breathers, uh, you know, like the firemen wear. Um, but that was the only time I had gone down there. I think, uh, you know, I, I had no reason to really be down there, and I really had no want to be down there. Um, I think I've been down there once since uh, to Lower Manhattan. Our building, uh, you know, I was then working out of our, our Midtown office up on Park Avenue after that. Uh, so I, I did not go back down uh, except on two separate occasions. Well, Pete, I know it's not easy to talk about this even 20 years later. Um, I appreciate you so much coming on and uh, sharing uh, a little bit about, you know, taking us back 20 years and helping us. You know, we, we don't want to ever forget that. And if we could get that unity back in this country, uh, it would certainly be a great thing. But thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, thank you for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Pete Sagansky. He's a coworker and a friend of mine, works at, with, the, with us at Brogan Financial. He's a financial advisor, was down in lower Manhattan, as you've heard, uh, when the uh, Twin Towers on that fateful day uh, 20 years ago. Uh, when we come back, I have a dear friend of mine, Patrick Lenore, who I went to college with. He played football for the University of Tennessee. Uh, he also has a very strong personal connection to 911. And uh, so we're going to visit with him in the next segment. So stay tuned as we're commemorating and remembering uh, what happened 20 years ago today. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. 
Today is 9-11-2021. It's been 20 years since that fateful day. And we're commemorating that. We don't want to ever forget. And, you know, we unified so, such, did such a great job unifying as a country. Uh, Pete, uh, we, we certainly appreciate Pete Sagansky coming on and talking about his personal experience being there on that day. Uh, I'm now joined by a very, very dear personal friend of mine, Patrick Lenore, um, is a good friend of mine from college. Patrick played football at the University of Tennessee. And actually, most famously, uh, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, uh, coming out of the miracle at South Bend in 1991. And as I remember it, Patrick, uh, if, if I remember correctly, Tony Thompson had caught and, uh, and had a screen pass that he took in for the go-ahead touchdown late in the fourth quarter, and he jumped up into your arms, and that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Am I remembering all that correctly? No, you're you're getting old, Jim. That was uh, Aaron Hayden. Uh, Aaron Hayden, Tony, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, number it 24. It wasn't Tony Thompson. It was Aaron Hayden. That's right. That's right. That's good, funny. You got a good memory. Yeah. Oh, well, sorry, you, you, you don't have a good memory. I mean, but uh, no, that was. The but it was a screenplay, right? It was a screenplay. It was went about thirty-five or forty yards, if I remember. Yes, it sure was. See, Off I got a pretty good memory when it comes to football, Tennessee football. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Patrick, your dad, you have quite a football lineage. Your, uh, your dad, John Lenore, played at the University of Memphis. He was also yeah. a champion handball player. And then your brother, yeah, he, Rob. Oh, go ahead, right. Patrick. No, no, no. I, you, uh, I'm sure you know a lot of people in Knoxville knew him because he obviously was a financial planner here. You know, we're originally from Memphis, uh, Germantown area, but uh, – you know, probably the best thing that ever happened to my dad was uh, he's been playing handball for over 50 years. And, of course, you know, you uh, you know, you know, were so kind to sing at my father's funeral about a year ago. But um, anyway, but, you know, he, he won a world championship in the 60-plus uh, Bs uh, over in Ireland, and I, and I was with him. And But uh, he kind of dedicated this to my brother. We, we, we kind of dedicated this because it was about a year and a half before or I'm sorry, after Rob had died and, you know, 9-11, all this kind of stuff. So he had always wanted to play in the world championship. He asked me about if I would go over there with him. And, and, uh, and, and we kind of, we kind of turned the trip into a, you know, uh, into, you know, let's win this for Rob kind of thing. And uh, I've never seen my dad play so well and so motivated to, to, to win it. Wow. And he'd lost weight and just, it, it was just, can you almost make a movie out of it? It, it was truly unbelievable. He, he got, he was undefeated, but the, best handball I've ever seen him play, but we dedicated the match to Rob, obviously my, my brother who was lost in the trade center, but um, it, it was, uh, um, it, it was a, a wonderful memory. It was awesome. So. Oh, wow. I would not heard that part of it, Patrick. That is awesome. Of course, we all called your dad Crusher, and he got that nickname on the handball court, right? He sure did, but then later yeah, after could... Crusher, he actually he started uh, calling himself the world champ. Well, then kind of that stuck more. So he actually went by the last probably 10, 15 years of his life, he went by the world champ more. That's great. You know, as, as his nickname. So he, he was quite a character. So your brother Rob uh, also played football. He played at Duke University. And, he sure did, uh, yeah. Of course, he was uh, in the World Trade Center in the, in the I guess, the North Tower? No, he was actually in the no, South Tower. That's right. He was on the South Tower. Uh, on that day. So let's just talk, and Patrick, I know this isn't easy. I thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. Uh, but he was in the South Tower. How long had he been working in New York, and what was his job? 
Well, he married uh, his college sweetheart uh, from Long Island, and he'd always uh, he was a econ and poli sci major, but was kind of a math whiz. So he knew he wanted to do something in the financial arena, and uh, they had moved to he'd gotten married. He'd moved up to New York. They got married, but uh, he was he was on Wall Street there for a little while. He'd he'd bounced around, but then he finally got over to. Uh, I guess the World Trade Center, and I'm thinking it's. I think he'd been there about eight or nine years, I believe. And he was up on the hundred and seventh floor. Sorry, sorry, hundred and second floor. And he worked for a company called Sandler O'Neill, um, uh, you know, investment type firm. So, um, but yeah, that's how that's how long he'd been there, roughly. So, so he was on the hundred and second floor of the South Tower, and when the first plane hit the North Tower. As I remember it, didn't he talk with your dad on the phone? Did he call your dad, or did your dad call him? What did what went on there, and when what was what was yeah, your knowledge my, my of the dad, situation? Yeah, my dad had like a little small TV or something in his office here in Knoxville, and uh, and of course I live in Chattanooga, but uh, I was on my way to work, and uh, my dad had called me, and uh, well something came on the radio about it, um, and anyway, it didn't really register right at first. For some reason, but then my dad called me within probably a minute or two of that announcement on the radio and uh, said, "Hey, have you have you heard what's going on and all this kind of stuff?" And so anyway, and then I was talking for a while, and I he said, "I just talked." My dad just talked to Rob, and uh, he was just about to get out of the building. They were trying to decide if they should get out or not because it was, you know, it was the building next to him that had been hit, and and uh, they, you know, there was so much confusion they couldn't see the plane. It was just they saw smoke and this kind of stuff. So. Anyway, they uh, my dad told him to go ahead and you know get out of there, and uh, and my my brother was on the phone um, or or something, but he was just about to leave, and um, but then actually when I was talking to my dad, uh, uh, his building got hit. Um, you know, he saw the building get hit while I was actually talking with my dad on the phone. Your dad. And so you, you, uh, what you're saying is when you were talking to your to your dad, he did. Yeah, at that he, time, yeah, yeah all, the South he, Tower. He, your dad saw the South yeah. Tower get hit. Correct, right. And then, of course, you got obviously really serious then. And, uh, yeah, it was, it got pretty tough after that. So, so, so I yeah. guess, uh, so then on September the next day, you and your dad decided to drive to New York to help look for Rob? Yeah, so I, I actually, um, I, I drove up from Chattanooga from East Brainerd to up to uh, my parents' house there in West Knoxville. And, uh, uh, of course they were both, my parents were a wreck and my sister. And so we decided that we wanted to get on up there because, you know, there was some, kind of some, some confusion there. We thought maybe it might be what kind of thing that, that all these hospitals might be, uh, full of people, you know, from the, from the, uh, from the collapse and things like that. And, you know, uh, not knowing where they are, all these kind of things. So we thought we'd go up and be with my sister-in-law and niece and nephew who were out and who, you know, they lived in Long Island where he lived. But uh, we thought we'd, we would, so we drove up there the next day. My sister actually came down to Chattanooga. She was probably in high school at the time and came with my mom, with my wife and kids and stuff. And yeah, so we drove up there. Obviously all the planes were grounded at the time and it was obviously a really tough drive uh, up there, you know, because, uh, you, you know, everyone lost, phone communication you know uh, up there so we didn't know if he'd gotten out if he was uh wandering around the city or trying to get over to 
you know, you know, an area back, you know, just trying to get back home, but he wasn't able to call his wife because, you know, all the cell phones that were jammed or, or had, had been messed up. So it was a real tough 24 hour, 48 hour period there. Um, but obviously we knew it didn't look very good, but we thought we kind of held on for a chance or an opportunity that he could still be alive. So that's uh, when we decided to go up there. If we were, yeah. So did you all end up? So you went to Long Island to see uh, his family, Rob's family. Did y'all? Did you and Crusher end up going into into Manhattan, or did it, was that even a, a, an yeah, option? Yeah, yeah, we yeah we actually did. We took the uh, train in with a uh, family friend of theirs, uh, and his his wife had made uh, you know the little flyers that you probably had have seen before, but this uh, mugshot and then have you seen this person and, you know, description of them and the age and all that kind of stuff. So we put out some of those around the city and, but, uh, and of course they were, people had done that pretty much everyone had done that. So there were these flyers like that everywhere, but you know, you could all, you know, once you kind of saw some of the, the grounds and, and then of course you're starting to hear that these hospitals, Hey, no one was coming in. No one actually, uh, you know, pretty much, <laughs> you know, they were expecting a lot of people as you remember, but nobody actually did show up. So, we started kind of getting the feeling that, you know, I think that uh, it's not looking very good. And so, but my mom, it was just my dad and I and this, and this friend that went in. I guess my mom didn't, and, and my sister-in-law, they, they stayed out in Long Island at the, at their house. Um, I guess they didn't. Well, they needed to be with Andrew and Courtney, my, my niece sure. and nephew, who were just, uh, ironically, their ages were 9 and 11 at the time. Courtney was 9 and Andrew was 11. So... So your mom, your mom uh, drove up. She, so she went up there with y'all in the, in the car. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and she, she sure did. With, and then she stayed with the nieces, niece and nephew, and the, and, and daughter-in-law. So you actually like was it that next day or the, the maybe the thirteenth? You actually were at the World Trade Center site, or how close did yeah, you get I would to the say actual? Not you know not real close. We didn't get real close. It was all blocked off and all, but. Um, yeah, I'd say within maybe five or six blocks, probably. But um, you know, you kind of had that feeling. Well, w- w- the other thing is Sandler O'Neill, the company he worked for, they had kind of like the uh, they had sort of like a central location. They had met. They told they spread the word for everyone to meet at uh, this one hotel in the city, and they kind of had like Greek counselors and uh, you know, different counselors and different things like that, and uh, people there to kind of like give uh, emotional support and counseling support and like uh, things to do what to do what you know things to expect and stuff like that and and so um you, you know there was kind of that feeling when no one would you know when when he hadn't called home in 48 hours uh or or, or longer um uh that kind of thing and uh, you know we, we pretty much had a good feeling that it, it, it was not looking good that he was probably had perished and so we um you know pr- pretty much i think everybody kind of had that feeling too obviously just with the you know the, the devastation with the, of the collapse and, and and all that so yeah that's pretty tough i mean uh, also not you know having to take time to really know for sure what how long did you all stay up there patrick well we end up actually staying uh really till his funeral um because obviously the you know planes it, it was a while before the planes even got going again and and I get, I'm, I can't even remember what day his funeral was on, but uh, let me see. It was probably like, on, I'm going to say, on the 25th or uh, maybe something like that. But um, so my wife and kids and, you know, 
my my dad on his side has a lot of family, aunts and uncles, and or you know sisters and brothers. So I had a lot of my aunts and uncles and cousins come up from all over Tennessee and Alabama and uh, Georgia and stuff. And then um, his wife's family was very very small, and they were just I mean very very small. And then um, but then so they all came up. So I was probably literally there the entire time. I'm glad I obviously had packed some a bunch of clothes, but my wife brought you know a suit for me and things like that but we stayed at <clears throat> we stayed at my sister-in-law's house the entire time um and i was really able to bond a lot with andrew and courtney obviously because uh they were still pretty young at the time and um and plus being far away i had not got to you know don't get to see them as much as i would have liked to but it was a good time to try to be with them and uh, support them and because they probably didn't fully understand exactly what was happening um, yeah. Well, and I know, uh, I know back at the time, I don't remember details and I know you're not going to, cause you were so focused on that, but I know we'd had a little bit of communication from time to time while all that was going on, but I didn't, I just didn't remember, um, how long you had been up there. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it's hard to talk about Patrick, but I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, you know, our first guest works with me at Brogan Financial, and he was in Lower Manhattan uh, in one of the buildings attached to the Trade Center when the when the towers got hit. And so we were visiting with him the first half of the show. So we just wanted right. to remember what happened 20 years ago, and and yeah. uh, you know, remember those well, well, that, that. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was just I was just thinking of one thing. I know what I I probably didn't give very good information. I apologize. But I'll, I'll, you know, it was really uh, it was really ironic and neat that my brother uh, Rob, uh, the very first game uh, I went to in Neyland's team was was the World's Fair of '83, right? 1983, isn't that right? World's Fair. Uh, World's Fair was 1982, I think. 82. Okay, so Duke actually played Tennessee in 1982. Here oh, was that when Spurrier when they beat us? Mm-hmm. Well, it was, uh, he was the offensive coordinator. As Red Wilson was the head coach, but my brother was obviously on that team. But that was my very first game in Neyland, and I was, you know, had the Duke. You know, I was probably seventh or eighth grade, but I had the Duke uh, jersey or the shirt on and all that night. But that was just a real memorable game for our family and and uh, and all. And plus, we've got some family up here in Knoxville. But that's when we actually lived in Columbia, South Carolina, at the time where my brother went to high school, and then he went on to Duke. But and we moved back to Memphis, where my parents were from. So I kind of became, obviously, a Tennessee fan after that. But um, I thought that was really just kind of neat and special that my very first game was, was you know, at Neyland with, uh, uh, you know, against Duke. I, you know, I hated that Duke. Obviously, obviously, Tennessee lost, but it was a great yeah, memory. Yeah, that's a neat, that's uh, a great memory. That, that's a great memory. And then, of course, you led the team through the tee at one of the 9-11 anniversary dates. What was that? It Was it at 10 years that you? 10, 10 years, yes, sir. You, you, you uh, carried you the it. American flag and led the team through the T? Right. That, that's a great memory, Yeah, sure did. That, that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was amazing. I tell you, that was just so uh, nice uh, and just so, uh, you know, the university's been so good to me and my family. And, you know, in fact, they called uh, a couple few days ago and asked if I could be on the, uh, as a guest on the, uh, Bob Kessler, or the, you know, the pregame show. Um, and I just, I, I don't think I even told you that, but uh, that was just a couple of days ago. But I just, I'm not real good in front of people. And I don't give a great interview, but I get a little nervous. But so I was like, you know, I had to kindly uh, decline that offer. Uh, but since you're obviously one of my best friends, I had to definitely uh, wanted to do this. But um, 
But anyway, well, but, I, but they did. They wanted me to come up to the game, and they've got uh, some tickets for us. I'm actually here on campus right now, and uh, I don't know if you're here. I'd love to meet up with you, but uh, uh, see you I'll somewhere. I'll text you here in a bit. We're going to be up there in the terrace. I'll give you. I'll text you here in a bit when we when we get ready to leave. I'd love to see you. Yes, sir. Well, Patrick, thanks well, Jim, for coming thank on. You so much. You've been you've been so kind. Uh, I really appreciate you and your family, man. Thank you, Patrick. And everyone, Love else. You, man. Until uh, okay. Christy and the kids were hello. That's Patrick Gosh. Lenore, who uh, whose brother Rob was in uh, the the South Tower on the hundred and second floor when the when the World Trade on nine eleven. So uh, we we visited with him. We also visited with Pete Sagansky and his experience being in Lower Manhattan on nine eleven as we kind of commemorate 20 years and remember those who, who fell and how we rallied as a country. When we come back, we'll have just a quick dollars and cents segment. I want to talk about the power of giving. So stay tuned. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in. This is More Living on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We come to you every Saturday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Uh, if you missed part of today's show, pl please tune back in at 3, or you can catch our podcast online next week uh, as we've been visiting with two people, two friends of mine that had, were severe, deeply impacted by 9-11, uh, one, one that was there and one who lost a brother. So we're going to talk, uh, for dollars and cents, I want to talk about the power of giving. And I don't have a lot of time here, but giving, and I think it's so appropriate with what's going on right now, um, you know, we had Rubicon, a tremendous charity, uh, on a, a few weeks ago uh, that does disaster relief with veterans. And I just think w when we incorporate giving into our financial plan, it is so powerful what we receive back emotionally, spiritually, in quality of life. You know, we struggle in today's society with the balance, that, that money-life balance. You know, money's a tool. It's not the objective. And it's an important tool. But ultimately, to have money-life balance, I think giving, no matter what you can do, at some level, can really make an impact on lives around you of people who aren't as fortunate as you are, and then also um, impact your own life. So if you're not already, please incorporate financial giving and giving of your personal time into your planning. Thank you for tuning in this week as we remember 20 years ago. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to Jill producing the show. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.